Thanks so much for joining me. We are about to open the Bible together. I hope you're well and blessed and encouraged in the Lord. If you're not, maybe you will be after we've uh, spent these minutes together. Come on, let's pray and we'll expect that God will speak to our hearts. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege we have to come to your word. Speak to us through it, we ask you, and lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Young family had been planning a vacation to Florida's Gulf Coast for some time. The young children couldn't wait. Mom and dad knew it was the time they had needed. So they headed in that direction with a deep sense of relief. That, ah, this is going to be great sense of relief. But their relief was turned upside down. They arrived on the Gulf Coast to discover the beaches they had hoped to play on and swim at were afflicted by something called red tide. It's when the water can take on a reddish-brown color because of something called phytoplankton. They're little things, photosynthesizing microscopic biotic organisms. For the most part, they cannot be seen by the unaided human eye. They are little, but blooms of these things can collect and kill marine life, fish, dolphins even. They can infect shellfish, and they can make the beaches stink. Our family was hoping to swim but could not. The water, they said, would make our eyes burn and the smell was overwhelming. Their big hopes for a fun family vacation disappeared in a red tide. Being Alabama, you might think it was a crimson tide, but no, it was a red tide. You've had your hopes dashed before. You were going to ask that certain someone to the senior banquet, but someone beat you to it. You wanted to buy that house, but someone got there first. You intended to spend Thanksgiving with your parents, but bad weather or your job or an illness meant that it wasn't going to be that way this year. But what about this? Along came the novel coronavirus. It shut down the Olympics. Athletes had been looking forward to the Olympics and straining and training. Wimbledon was canned. The basketball season was interrupted. Weddings and funerals and graduations were all interrupted and in many cases rescheduled. Schools started doing online classes. We had a a memorial service planned for my own mother, postponed for at least six months. Big family gatherings of all kind pushed to the side. What now, we wonder? Well, there are times that life hands you a lemonade and then you go ahead and make lemon basil spritzer. Aren't you glad that God is in control? Well, that's what happened here at It Is Written. We had been planning meetings in Indianapolis. We were so excited. But challenges came, not in the form of phytoplankton, but in the form of something even smaller, a virus. Well, things morphed. And instead of being local in one city, Revelation Today, Hope Awakens became global with tens of thousands of people participating from all around the world. When we come to the Bible, we see it's an entire book about expectations being dashed. And then God bringing something good, even great, out of it. I could talk about Revelation 10 and the great disappointment, but that's too predictable. You're expecting that already. So instead, let's talk about some different things. I want to go with you in the Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4, where there was tremendous disappointment. And yet the God of heaven, the great God of heaven, 
brought something wonderful out of that darkness. Second Kings chapter 4, we start in verse 1. The Bible says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor has come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Imagine that. Now a widow. They were going to take away her two boys because her husband died owing money. This was desperate, desperate. What could possibly turn around here? Well, we read verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Imagine that. You went to your kitchen, nothing. You looked in the pantry, nothing. You looked through the cupboards. All you found was a little container with what we're going to presume was olive oil. How could your life turn around based on that? Where's the hope? Well, here comes hope. It's in Second Kings 4 and verse 3. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. He said, don't skimp, get as many as you can. Borrow not a few. That means borrow many. Verse 4, And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. And I notice something here. I don't want to overlook this. You and your sons. The prophet didn't say, have your sons go on down the road and play with their friends. The prophet said, keep the boys there. I want them to see this. Listen, when you are praying for something as a family, involve the children. When God answers a prayer, tell the kids. When you're praying for rain and it's dry or praying for dry weather and there's rain, have the children pray. And when God answers their prayers, the children are going to say, God is real. This is fantastic. Invest yourself in involving the children in the spiritual experiences of the family. And those spiritual experiences will define their lives. What'd she do? Verse 5 says, So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, which brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. Did this take faith or what? All she had was a little oil. The prophet said, you're going to tip that oil out. That's what I'm That's what I'm relying on for my survival. No, tip it out. It's all I have. Tip it out. This is like the lady with the the two mites. It's like the boy with the loaves and the fish. If you don't have much, bring it to Jesus and watch him bless. And verse 6 says, And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. Bring another one. And he said, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Imagine this. The neighbors are wondering what those boys are doing, bringing vessel after vessel, jar after jar to the house. By now, the whole place smells of that beautiful aroma of olive oil. Anybody passing by says, what in the world? Have I passed an olive oil factory? I didn't know that dear old lady was dealing in olives. There's no more. And now the oil stopped. She, as long as she was pouring out, there would be more. It's a little bit like that with our finances. As long as we give to God, God will keep supplying and resupplying us. Verse 7 says, Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. This poor widow, you know, she didn't get her husband back. No, that's not what God did. This poor widow exercised faith 
and she went from poverty to being an oil baron. How about that? Her disappointment was deep. It was severe. It was dark. But what did God do? God made up her lack and provided for her. She got to keep her two boys. And God revealed to her, to the boys, to the people in that town, and to us thousands of years later, that He is a great God who can bring great things even out of our disappointments. We can, even when things turn upside down, live with great expectations. We can, because God is in the business of doing something great, great things. You know, the Bible says, all things work together for good. It doesn't mean that all things are good, but it means that God is at work in every circumstance. And keep in mind, not merely to please us, but to honor Him and to help others to see that there is a God in heaven. All right, I've got another story, similar but different. We're going to go to the Gospel of St. Luke now, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 11, Luke seven eleven. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Verse 12. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. See this now? Here was Jesus and a crowd. Here was a funeral procession, another crowd. Jesus was in the middle. A dead man, his widow mother, was about to bury him. He was her source of support. What would she have now? With him died all of her hopes. This was going to be hopeless, except Jesus came. Jesus entered into this thing, and you know what he does? Cancels the funeral. Verse 13, Luke 7 and verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said unto her, Weep not. What kind of advice is that to give somebody who's just lost a son and is now burying the son? This Jesus, it seems, didn't always make a whole lot of sense in the eyes of those who were standing by. But this was Jesus getting ready to do something great, getting ready to bring something big out of a disaster. Verse 14, And he came and touched the bier, And they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God has visited his people. They glorified God. Now, just a moment. Think about how God is is making something wonderful out of all of these situations. When that young man died, the lady's life was distraught. But imagine you are a believer and God says to you, something's going to happen in your life and you can't see it, but it is going to bring great honor and glory to me. A little bit like Job's circumstances, or might I say, just like Job's circumstances. Job couldn't see what was taking place behind the veil. God didn't come to Job and explain to him, now listen, Job, you're going to go through some misery here. In fact, a lot of misery, but it's going to bless generations. For millennia, people will see a clearer picture of what I am like. 
and you are going to glorify me. If God had come to Job and explained that to him, Job would have said, I'm in, do whatever you want if it's going to glorify you. Now, you know that God isn't going to allow anything to happen to you that won't ultimately glorify him. I don't understand how that accident could glorify God. That's okay, God understands. I don't understand how that amputation, how that injury, how that loss, how that death in the family, how that financial crisis could glorify God. God hasn't called us to understand. He's called us to trust. And it's not God inflicting something on you just so he can shine a light on himself. God allows things to take place knowing that they will grow our faith and knowing that they will enable other people to see what God is really like. You see, we are in this world for the glory of God. That's why we are here. And there are times that difficult circumstances come upon us. But God is saying, you wait and something great will come out. What if you had to wait until the resurrection? On resurrection morning, you are not going to come out of the grave and shake your fist in God's face and say, what were you thinking? You are going to say, glory to God and the hardships of this earth. What Paul described as our light affliction, which endures for a moment, that'll be forgotten. She lost her son. Now the funeral has been canceled. She had great expectations for that young man's life, particularly when her dear husband was gone. Now this boy would look after her. This boy would see that she would eat and be comfortable into her old age. This young man would take care of her and be her protector and her provider. This young man, all of her hopes and dreams, gone. But before they got to the cemetery, as it were, Jesus gave the young man back to the mother. What a reunion. What rejoicing. No, God doesn't do it just like that. I had somebody tell me one day, he said, my mother died, and I prayed, and I believed that God was going to raise her up and bring her back to life. God did not. It doesn't always work out like that. In fact, it works out like, like that very infrequently. But this is a foretaste of what's going to come on resurrection morning. Oh, pastor, do I have to wait that long? Yeah, I think you probably do. But it's not long now. And on that great getting up morning, Graves are going to open up on hillsides all across the world and the redeemed will come forth never to see sickness or death ever again. Come on, hang in there with Jesus. Hang in there. Sometimes you, you're you late for a train and you think it's all over and yet you get to the station and there's been a holdup and you made your departure and everything's good. Important at the time because you had something to get to. You couldn't afford to be late. This was everything in your life. Really? In context or in perspective? A small thing. But God was with you there. He brought something great out of your hardship. Other times you lose a loved one. God says, well, there isn't another train coming along. The train has left the station. What do you do then? You trust. You hang in there with God because in your future, God is going to do something great. Hang in there with God. We are disappointed daily. People disappoint us. People hurt us. We sometimes get disappointed and hurt at church by the people that we look up to and respect. Our loved ones may even turn on us or let us down. Friends may disappoint us unintentionally or intentionally, but God won't ever let you down and He will get you over that difficulty. He'll get you through that tough time and God one day will split wide open space itself, and we'll see Jesus coming back. What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. All right, we're in the Gospel of Luke, 
And we're going to Luke 5, and uh, we'll start in verse 4. Luke chapter 5, this is it right here. And verse 4, and the Bible says, When he had stopped speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Now, let's consider something here. Simon is about to tell Jesus, we've been fishing all night. And Jesus advises him to do something uh, not intuitive, at least. Now, I don't know. Jesus was a carpenter, you know. I don't know what he knew about fishing. He grew up in Nazareth, not too far from water. That's for sure. I expect he went fishing as a kid. I'm going to guess that Jesus spent time out on somebody's fishing boat now and then. That's my guess. He may not have, but that's my guess. He'd spent some time with these fellows. I don't know what he knew about fishing. Here's a carpenter advising a seasoned fisherman. Here's what you need to do. Simon very politely answers him in verse 5. And he said to him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. I want you to see that this is a demonstration of faith. Also notice, this was a man who later on was faithless, but here he was strong and he had faith. This was an up in the undulation of ups and downs. Jesus said, I'd like you to do this. Simon Peter answered and said, it doesn't seem likely. However, at your word, I will let down the net. I'll do it because you say so. That's the Christian experience. God is God. His ways are above our ways as much as heaven is high above the earth. And we don't always understand the toings and froings, the insides and the outsides of God's doings. But we can trust Him. Nevertheless, I'll do it because you said so. Now what happened? Verse 6, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. We weren't there, but I imagine this. Peter throwing his net out while the guys in the other boat coming to shore thinking, what are you doing, man? We fished all night long. There's nothing out here. It was a bad night, and you are trying again. Oh, he said to do it. What happened? So many fish that the net broke. In fact, you're going to find here as you look at this, you didn't have one sinking ship, you had two sinking ships. You know, if you go to work at the office and your job is to answer the phones and the phone does not ring, you go home and say, I had an easy day. You still get paid. You go back tomorrow. If you work in retail and the customers are few today, you still get paid, even if, by some chance, you actually serviced or served no customers. It's not like that when you are self-employed. If you pressure wash concrete and no one calls, you don't earn anything. If you fix people's drain pipes or their automobiles, or you are a carpenter that you build houses or do home improvements and nobody calls, you've got no work today. You don't eat today. Here were Peter and his fellows out on the water, and there were no fish. It was going to be a long day because they had earned nothing. They would take nothing to the market. They had nothing to take home to eat either in terms of fish. Their income was taking a hit. You can imagine them, I don't know, 
I don't know what, I don't want to say they were moping their way back to shore, but surely they were disappointed that they couldn't find any fish that night. And Jesus turned it around like that. The Bible says Simon Peter was amazed. It says in verse 8 that when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, for he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth you shall catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. This was an indication of what Jesus can do. Now think this through with me. You go out working, it was a down day. Jesus says, I'll make that up for you. It's like you're a salesman and you get to the end of the day, a salesperson, and you get to the end of the day and suddenly it just comes in an avalanche and your last customer buys up everything you have and a bad day turned into a good day. This is what happened for Peter and his friends. Accept that, accept that. There's a lesson here for us. This lesson is about sharing your faith. And so you witness to your neighbor and your neighbor's not interested. And you witness to your brother and sister-in-law and they are not interested. And you're letting your light shine where you work and no one seems to respond. And you distribute literature and no one seems to really care. You're going to have times like that. Jesus assured Peter, from now on you'll catch men. You will be a fisher of human beings. And so out he went. And it's not that everybody he shared with uh, ran to the baptistry and said, I want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. There were lean days, but there were good days. Look, if you're sharing your faith, look beyond the lean days. Don't let that great expectation of sharing your faith, don't let that drive you to despair when you see nobody respond because it's going to happen. And if you share your faith, remember this, witnessing for Christ is better for you than anybody. It is growing you in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe I should say as good for you as it is for anybody. We share and God will give the, give the increase. That's what Paul said. He, he talked about one sowing and another watering and God adding the blessing. We sow and then leave it with God. We want to act intelligently and prayerfully and carefully, but God is the one who takes responsibility for, for bringing the seeds that we sow to life. Come on now, don't back off. Don't stop sharing your faith. Don't stop giving out tracts and books and DVDs and pointing people to websites. Don't stop sharing your personal testimony. Don't stop inviting people to church and Bible study. Don't stop. Don't stop testifying for the Lord. Don't stop telling people about what God has done for you. Sow those gospel seeds and God will grow them up so that they will result in a great harvest. Oh, but I've been fishing all night. No one's taking the bait. Hang in there. One of these days, Jesus is going to say, cast your net over yonder. And when you do, so many fish, so many souls, you think your nets might break. Well, there's another story we've got to look at. It is also in the Gospel of Luke. And it's late in the book, Luke and chapter 24. And when you get to Luke 24, we'll pick it up in verse 13. It says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score, sixty furlongs. That's about seven miles. 
And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. What were these things? This was just post-crucifixion. They were talking about the death of Jesus on the cross. And verse 16 says, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Now, Jesus asked them an amazing question. He said to them in verse 17, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? And you have not known the things which have come to pass there in these days. What an incredible thing for Cleopas to say. Jesus answers him with one of the most remarkable questions in the Bible. He said to them in verse 19, what things? Don't you know what happened? And as Jesus walked, I'm thinking, looked at the nail prints in his hands and thought to himself, gentlemen, I have a fair idea. But instead he says to them, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 21. They said to Jesus, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. You notice what they said. They said to Jesus, you had us fooled. We thought you were the Messiah. Now, they didn't know they were saying that to Jesus. Oh, we thought he was the deliverer. What fools were we? And then they out their own lack of faith by saying, it's the third day. Whereas Jesus had said to them again and again, I'm going to go down there and they are going to crucify me. And on the third day, I am going to rise again. But they weren't thinking They were barely listening to themselves. They go on and they say in verse 22, yes, and there were women who went to the sepulcher and they they went there, they, they didn't find his body. And they came back and they said the most interesting thing. They said that they had seen a vision. Look at this in verse 23, a vision of angels. And the angel said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But they didn't see him. Jesus heard what they said. And he said to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so he went through Moses the prophet. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Sounds like he must have gone through Nahum and Habakkuk and Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, Jonah. The things concerning himself. What a Bible study this was. Verse 28 says that when they got to the village, they, 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 he, Jesus acted like he was going to go on, but they said, no, no, they constrained him. They said, no, you got to stay with us, abide with us. It's evening time. You got to stay. Come to our place. Have something to eat. Verse 30 says, it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then he vanished out of their sight. 
You know, as they talked, they said to each other, didn't our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and opened to us the scriptures? And you know what these men did? According to Luke 24 and verse 33, they rose up at the same hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 gathered together and them that were with them. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they said, wait, wait till you hear what we have to tell you. They ended up doing a half marathon that day, seven miles out and seven miles back, 14 miles, even greater than the 13.1 of a half marathon. Think about this. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And then they saw him crucified out there on an old rugged cross. Their hopes died. They had to have talked about how how they were mistaken. Oh, you know, but we saw the prophecy. No, we're mistaken. He healed the sick. What could that mean? You know, that had to have spoken to them. He raised Lazarus from the dead. What about that story we read earlier in the same chapter? He raised from the dead the the son of the widow of Nain. He fed the 5,000, turned water into juice. They had to have thought, What do we do about that? He can't have been a fraud or a phony. He just could not have been. But he died. That's not what we were expecting. They meandered their way slowly and sadly to Emmaus. Jesus walked with them. Their hearts burned. Their disappointment was turned to joy. He was the Messiah. Jesus lives. He is the Redeemer. Their theology needed to be adjusted ever so slightly. But this was Jesus. This was the Savior. This was the majesty of the heavens. Can you imagine a turnaround like that? And I wonder if you would think about this from God's perspective. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made the world. What for? So that we, His creatures, could reveal to the world his character, his glory. Great expectations. But then came sin. From the heights, these are my children, from the heights, God getting down in the dirt and breathing his own breath in Adam's nostrils. From the heights of, these are my children, we spend time together to the depths a snake in a tree, an act of faithlessness. A leaf dies, animal sacrifice, Cain killed Abel, and God watched the whole thing unravel from the heights to the depths. But as soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What happened? The council of peace took place in heaven and it was decided that Jesus would come to the earth as the redeemer for all of humankind. And he came to this earth and he lived as a man and was so cruelly treated, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and equated with grief. But you know the Bible says that Jesus beheld of the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Think about that. Jesus looked ahead and he said, I know what I'm going to go through, 
but I'll do that because it's worth it. I'm satisfied. I don't want to die on the cross. You remember Jesus himself cried out to his father, my God, my God, repeating the words of David in Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me? But he looked ahead to that and he said, it's worth it because there'll be redeemed people down in the close of time, redeemed people of all ages. You know why it was worth it? Because Jesus looked down through time and saw you. And he said, for her, he said, for him, it'll be worth it. He saw your children and your grandchildren. Oh, wait, though. Some of them are far from God. Yes, he saw that too. And he saw his Holy Spirit going after them like the prodigal son was pursued. He saw he saw them coming back. And you can see that by faith. Jesus said, I'll die. It's worth it. God looked down at creation and he wondered, what if this should go wrong? Ah, even if heaven has to pay the ultimate price, it will be worth it for your salvation. There was a widow whose husband died. They were going to take away her boys. It couldn't get worse. And God turned it around. There was a widow whose boy had been taken away, heading to the cemetery. As she wept and grieved and mourned, Jesus intervened and turned it all around. The stakes were a little less high as fishermen were coming back after a night of toil. They had taken nothing. It would be a quiet day for them. No marketplace visit. It was not necessary. Maybe they would clean or mend nets, do something on the boat, something around the house. But Jesus turned it around. And I just wonder what kind of response they got at the market when people said, how could you have caught so many fish? And I'd like to think that they were some of the best fish that ever turned up at market. From nothing in your net to a a creaking, breaking net, from nothing in your boat to a sinking boat, yea, verily, two sinking boats. Can God turn things around? Oh, yes, he can. Can he turn them around for you? Oh, yes, he can. And please hear me. No, we're not in this world to get rich. We're not in this world to have the most prestige. We're not in this world to occupy position. If you have any of that, thank God. God has placed you there. He's given you a weighty responsibility, but we don't come to faith in God just so we can have full nets, just so we can have bread to eat and bread left over. That's a byproduct of coming to God. We come to God because Jesus died for us, because God so loved the world, because heaven said, I want you saved and not lost, because divinity said, I can do something about your sin, because the majesty of the heavens said, I can give you a new heart. Because Jehovah God himself said, I want to spend eternity with you. God saw something in you. Jesus came to die for you. And when he died, what did the people say? You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he had precious few friends. And after the cross, his friends said, what a mistake we made. That would never happen to the Messiah. So he came back and he said, let's think this thing through Let's think again. He's truly the Messiah. He's coming back soon. And that blessed hope was God's hope as Jesus hung on the cross. His own son ripped away from the heart of heaven by wicked and sinful men. 
the grave couldn't contain him. And an angel rolled away that great stone out in front of Joseph's new tomb, and Jesus came forth glorified. Rabboni, Mary cried out. Jesus said, don't detain me. I got to go to your father and my father, but I'll be back. That hope even buoyed the heart of God. God looked forward to that. And we look forward to that too. You know, on the day when Jesus comes back, the happiest person in town will be God himself. Satisfied. Satisfied. And we'll look up and we'll say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. I can't be certain just what you're dealing with right now, but it seems like every heart carries a burden and a weight. Are you carrying one? I think you might be. Is it something so heavy that you wonder how you're possibly going to get through? Is it something so heavy that it's causing your faith to stretch almost to breaking point? Oh, hold on now. Let's reassess this thing and say there is still a God. He is still great. Jesus still occupies heaven's throne. He's still coming back. The best is yet to come. We may today have great expectations in spite of our disappointments and our difficulties. Because beyond our tears and through our heartbreak and on the other side of our frustrations and broken dreams and shattered hopes, there is a Savior soon to return. He'll give you a new heart today and the assurance of everlasting life if you'll say yes. Would you say yes with me? Would you say yes with me now? and believe that Jesus is coming back soon for you. Come on, let us pray, our Father in heaven. We're grateful today for hope, for Jesus, for salvation, for certainty. Life sometimes brings circumstances that perplex us, make things very difficult. But thank you that we can cling to our greatest expectation. Jesus is coming back soon. Boy us up. Give us hope and faith always. We claim it in Jesus and we pray in Jesus' name. Let's say, Amen.